0: one basic hip welcome to the jazz session the weekly jazz interview show i'm jason crane the jazz session is available for free in itunes and i hope you'll take a moment to head over to the itunes store just type in jazz session and subscribe and you'll always be right up to date with the show you can also listen for free anytime at the jazzsession.com. you'll find episodes of the show there plus written interviews live jazz news and lots of jazz links this week, you'll also find coverage of the 2008 Tanglewood Jazz Festival, which I attended in my hometown of Lenox, Massachusetts, and you'll see uh, reviews of all the shows there. And a more expanded version of that same coverage will appear soon at allaboutjazz.com. Well, I mentioned, I think, on the last show how happy I was to be back. You know, the jazz session was off for a while while I moved to Albany and and got situated. But uh, we're back with a vengeance now. We've got some amazing acts lined up here on the show uh, in the months uh, and weeks ahead, including Jack Dijonette, uh, bassist Henry Grimes, uh, who has an amazing story, uh, lost and thought possibly dead for decades, now reemerged onto the scene, uh, drummer Brian Blade, saxophonist David Sanborn, uh, Satoko Fuji. Uh, Aaron Bodie, a new singer who's uh, really been making some waves. Trombonist Roswell Rudd. We'll also talk with Spencer Day, a singer and piano player who uh, was at the Jazz Festival in Tanglewood. Eddie Daniels uh, is on this week's program from Tanglewood. Also uh, local Albany uh, piano player Lee Shaw. And uh, a singer from Australia who I think you're really going to dig called Joe Laurie. And just lots and lots more where that came from. Plus... We're going to be giving away lots of cool stuff. This week, as a matter of fact, I've got some copies of Eddie Daniels' double live CD, Homecoming, live at the Iridium. And I think when you hear the interview and hear some samples of the music, you're going to want it. And to get it, it's pretty simple. You just send an email to contest at thejazzsession.com. That's contest at thejazzsession.com. And just put Eddie in the subject line. Eddie, as in Eddie Daniels. Well, this week's guest, as I mentioned, is saxophonist and clarinetist Eddie Daniels. He's got a new double live album called Homecoming Live at the Iridium. And here's a bit of what it sounds like. My guest is clarinetist and tenor saxophonist Eddie Daniels, and welcome to the Jazz Session. Thank you. It's uh, it's great to be here. Uh, we're in my hometown of Tanglewood, and we're getting ready for the, the Tanglewood Jazz Fest, at which you're playing uh, on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about who's in your band uh, this weekend?
1: Tom Renier on piano, Joel Barber on drums, David Fink on bass.
0: So this is the band from the Live at the Iridium yes, record? Yes, that's right. Uh, minus Joe Locke. Minus, minus Joe Locke, right?
1: Yeah. right? Yeah, I just, uh, and it's a good question. I've enjoyed... Uh, I enjoyed doing that record fantastically. It was phenomenal, and somehow I wanted to come back to the smaller, uh, the smaller group where there's uh, more time to play solo. When you have five guys, you got five solos. When you have four guys, you got four soloists, or so three and a half, considering the drums and the soloists. So uh, it gives me a little more flexibility, and uh, it's just fun changing the tone.
0: Now, you've said before that you thought the clarinet and vibes were a, a great fit. What is it about the sounds of those two instruments that works There's something
1: together? about the ring and the sound of a clarinet, the tone. You know, it's right in the same overtone series as the vibes is, you know, especially in certain range. You know, you, if I played a concert E-flat on the clarinet and he played his E-flat, it the vibes wouldn't sound like a clarinet, but it's there's a resonance in it where it. if I played the F, it would immediately... Or the E flat, it would ring that note on the vibes if we had his pedal down. it would just go, Wow, because they they're just I, I just think they're just right in the same overtone frequencies.
0: And so does that also translate uh, to the the piano, maybe to a lesser degree or a uh,
1: lesser degree to the piano for some reason? Well, some notes you can, especially the clarinet and the piano, do relate. Uh, but uh, it's that's a string being hit as a as as opposed to a bar of metal being hit by a mallet. Um, I love the sound of both, you know. Uh, it's, it's an interesting question. I have to kind of think about that.
0: Now, this weekend we're going to get to hear you play both clarinet and tenor saxophone, That's right. right? Which, uh, certainly, you started out playing both those instruments, mm-hmm. and you've returned to it in recent mm-hmm. years. Why did you decide to pick up the tenor again?
1: Well, I never really put it down, but I just didn't take it out in public. Um, I felt I wanted to give myself a certain amount of time to let the clarinet find its voice in this music of today. Uh, because, you know, most of the most of us remember Benny Goodman, Artie sure, and Buddy DeFranco, but nobody was doing it for the clarinet in today's music. So I really kind of dedicated myself to making the clarinet have a voice in today's time. And I think I succeeded, because a lot of people, especially I was speaking to Paquito last week. Paquito de Rivera is one of my best buddies and fine clarinetist. He said to me that when he heard me on my first GRP album, Breakthrough, and he was in Cuba, it totally... He heard the clarinet and he heard what I did and he says, Oh, I can do this. That's where I want to go. What Eddie's doing. That's the, you know, it set a a path for him to take it towards me and then in his own direction. But it opened up the concept. Oh, the clarinet can sound that way. It can be contemporary. It doesn't have to be swing or bebop, you know.
0: What was it? Did it, did it make it difficult for you initially when you decided to focus on clarinet in the eighties? Uh, to get gigs? I mean, was it a financially restrictive decision in any way? Or?
1: No, no. I th- I, it actually was was uh, uh, a good, not financially to speak of, but uh, I signed in a, a recording agreement with GRP Records, Mary Rosen, Dane Cruisen, two of my buddies, and they wanted me to only play the clarinet. They loved the idea of the clarinet, about having a new voice come through on their label, and basically it was successful. I mean, I didn't sell a gazillion records, or even a bazillion records, but uh it got me out there, and they loved that. You know, they're both so creative. Both of those guys were just like into the music. Uh, they agreed with me that uh, the clarinet was a good voice for me.
0: And it was those GRP records were my first exposure to you as well. And I remember thinking, just what a what a great surprise it was mm-hmm. to hear somebody on clarinet because you're right. You just there weren't yeah. wasn't anybody else doing
1: what you were doing. And interestingly enough, on both Larry and Dave's previous label, which was Arista, uh, they used to call me to do all the solos on saxophone. On Angela Bofill's record, Angel in the Night, which was a hit record back then, I had the hit tenor solo on a tune called I Cry. So it was saxophone. They both knew me as saxophone and knew, me, knew what I could do because Dave was always uh, doing sessions in New York, and he'd call me as you know handy all-purpose guy. He could play a solo on clarinet, on flute, on saxophone. So they knew, the, they knew my, my menu of, of the picture of what I was, and they had a lot of respect for the, the talent that I have or that they thought I had. Uh, and so they loved the idea of the clarinet. They just loved that idea. They'd heard me play the clarinet. I submitted a duo record that I had kind of produced myself with Jack Wilkins, and I played it for Dave, and he said, "Yeah, this is what we want."
0: That's you know. great. Now uh the live at the Iridium was uh, in some ways kind of a homecoming for you because yeah. although you you make your home in New Mexico, you're originally from right. New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you went to uh school, high school, right down the street school school from the Iridium, right? right? So you
1: read the liner notes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So it was
1: Homecoming. We called the album Homecoming. And, yeah, I've been living in New Mexico for, you know, 17 years, something like that. Is it 17 years? Yeah, about that long. And uh, still there's New York in my blood. You can hear it in the way I talk. <laughs> you could hear it in the way I play. It's still there. Just uh, decided to move away and, you know, just some more quiet surroundings uh, away from the hubbub of New York. But then, you know, uh, on that birthday year, the 65th, birthday, you know, and I always go back to New York to play, uh, it became a birthday album, and I then suddenly thought of how many times I trudged up and down 52nd Street, going to hear miles at, the, at Birdland, Coltrane at Birdland, you know, all and having gone to the high school of performing arts on West 46th Street, just a few blocks away, and just like, you know, my footprints were still in that cement that we went and visited 25 years later. You know? <laughs> ♫
0: Uh, can you talk a little bit about the Thad Jones-Mel Lewis band and how you got associated with that band and uh, what it meant
1: to your early career? Well, that was interesting because my very first jazz gig in life uh, was with Tony Scott. He hired me as a tenor player to play in his quintet at the Half Note no kidding. on Spring Street. And he didn't want me to play clarinet, you know. Uh, In fact, I played a little for him. He said, "No, I don't want. It's too much like Buddy DeFranco, and I want it." You know, so I was happy just to play the tenor. It was uh, Victor Scrolls was playing bass. John Mayer played piano. It was a a Frank Gant, I think, played drums on that gig, and it was my first gig in life in a in a jazz club. And one night of the six nights, Thad and Mel walked in, and they were just listening, and they sat in. And they heard me for the first time, and, you know, we just said hi, and it was very friendly. It's almost like uh, picking a candidate for, for president or <laughs> vice president, <laughs> like we're in the news now, and it's all this kind of, you know, nominating somebody. So, you know, a week later, I get a call, and we want you to be in our band. You know, and so that was very exciting, coming from my first gig. And, you know, so many young people at colleges say, how do you get that first break? I could never have figured that out that you know okay my first gig at a small club you know the half note was a great club i used to go here coltrane there i'd hear Cannonball there it was the place all of us in, in college could go it was not expensive you could have an italian meal and for for 12 bucks hear music and eat you know and so it was a it was a it was a good gig it was not like a, a large venue it was very small and and was it then the place
0: where it had like two rooms and the stage like straddle yeah them?
1: yeah okay. it, yeah kind of all together with a with a podium in the middle right and uh just so I say to people, you just never know and somebody's gonna come in and listen to you, so you just you don't even think about it. I didn't think about it, I had no concept that Thad Jones and Mel Lewis would walk in and be listening to me and then say, Let's get that tenor play for our new band and Joe Farrell was the other tenor player. Right. You know, and I was I actually was the youngest guy in the Thad Jones Mel Lewis band.
0: How old were you when you started with
1: that? Um twenty four. Wow. Twenty four years old. The youngest guy, so it was like you know, quite uh, quite an experience to be amongst the greatest uh, greatest band, greatest of players. There has never been a, a, a band packed with wonderful personalities: Bob Brookmeyer, Pepper Adams, Jerome Richardson, Joe Farrell, you know, Mel Lewis, Richard Davis, Roland Hanna. You know, such a group of individuals. But it, and now that I think of it, the striking thing about it is when you put all those individuals together. It became an ensemble without anyone having to stick out as an individual. Other than Thad, who led the band, and he could have his personality, but he would draw upon you. When you played your solo, then your individually came, individuality would come out. But the ensemble was such a phenomenal ensemble that all these great players, Pepper Adams, such an individual voice on the baritone saxophone, but in the section. We were a section, you know. And and I loved, it was a biracial band, a triracial band. It was an interracial band that, you know, in 1960s was one of the best bands in the country, in the world, probably, and the most swinging, and when I hear recordings of it today, still sounds as good and it's got this raw quality. And just the beauty of having guys from all backgrounds, all, you know, all, all religions, races, creeds, all of us playing together with love and affection, that I wish uh somehow somebody had taken note of it. We all knew it, well, we knew it, but we didn't think about it. You know, it's not something I ever thought about. Gee, I'm, an, I'm the youngest guy in the band. I don't, I thought about that because I was the youngest guy in the band and the most inexperienced guy in the band. And all these guys were like seasoned players who would play Snooky Young, you know, you know, one of the great trumpet players playing lead trumpet in the band would play with everybody. And Thad had played with Basie's band and Mel had played with, uh, you know, all that, well, you know, just been everywhere. And uh, so I never thought, I thought about my being the youngest, but I never thought about that racial issue because it wasn't even, an, it's not an issue. That was what's, what's so beautiful about that band. It was not an issue. We were all there enjoying each other's talent and the beauty of the playing, the Roland Hannah. whenever he would play a solo by himself at the Vanguard. It was like it was so infused and imbued with this kind of love and swing and creativity and Richard Davis was so special on the bass, so different. Mel was floating along on the drums in the smoothest of way, any smoothest of ways any big band drummer could ever have done. I think he played with Stan Kenton he was you know. I played with that band, he was one of the important drummers in that era, and he also played with the Mulligan Band, with the Mulligan Concert Band. Absolutely. You know, so here I am, I'm just out of college, you know. <laughs> yeah. There's my telephone. I That's have, all right. Sorry about that. That's okay, it's not live. Let me just, it's not live, all right, okay. let me just see what this is. Hello? Hey, Tom, how you doing? I No, I haven't talked to him. I'm I'm here and you know I'm here in Tanglewood. You know I I gave him my cell phone. I'm not home anymore. I'm back here. Oh really? Oh God, what do we do? Well, why don't you call Steve? Call Steve Schaefer. Yeah, I mean you know I'm you know it's funny. I'm in the middle of an interview, but it's fine. I'm we it, this is no, it's not a pro. It's not a problem. So Joel Barber just broke his left hand in a bicycle oh, my God. So we need Steve Schaefer or, or, you know, somebody for tomorrow night, and we've got to figure a way to do that. Um, will you be on your cell? I'll call you right back after this. Do you think – I think Steve would probably be the best, uh, you know. I'll call you right back, like, in, in 25 minutes. Thanks. Bye. I better talk to Vicki. But, like, yeah. we, we got – you know, we got a minute. I think Steve would come in a sec. Yeah.
0: Well, do you want to do you want to take care of what you got to take care of? No, no, no. Let's keep going. Let's okay. keep
1: going. You're going to edit this anyway, so yes, it's okay. I'm
0: take out the phone cover so, so you know. heard the live. What <laughs> yeah. happens?
1: You. This is interesting because you could put this on the sure. air. This is something that happens. I'm a band leader, and we're playing Sunday, and Joe LaBarbera breaks his hand on a bike trip. Here we are Friday, which is lucky. So I have to get somebody for Sunday who knows our material, who can play with us. And uh, this is life. What am I going to do?
0: Right. So now, so let's go into that a little bit. So, <laughs> let, let's if it's Steve Schaefer who comes, yeah. Uh, Why Steve Can Schaefer? he re- integrate? Can he integrate right into? Oh what's yeah, happening? yeah.
1: We played with him, and he's an old friend. I grew up with him. He's been saying, "I want to play with your band. I want to play with your band." So, I've used him on a couple of gigs, and we, he's a great player. And he played with us uh, on the last gig that we did at, in Salt Lake City Jazz Festival. He was fine so he knows our material and we'll rehearse a little bit and steves a great guy i hope he can do it he'll probably jump at the chance i hope because wow. we don't want to play as a trio
0: yeah no <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well we certainly yeah. wish joe the best so yeah man oh man so uh, i just want to quickly go back to uh, you talking about all the great players in the thad jones mel lewis band playing together as an ensemble because mm-hmm. you know there's there's a million of those all-star gatherings of uh-huh. musicians and that doesn't always work that way. It's often just a group of individual soloists. Yeah. Um, what was it—the leadership of Thad and Mel? What was it that that brought that band together? That well, month? yeah,
1: absolutely. The, that was a you know a camaraderie of, of Mel and Thad coming together, and they've been talking for years. We got to we got to have our band. We got to have a band because they were both studio guys, sitting in the studio playing studio music, doing a lot of recordings. And you know, Thad had been been in the Ed Sullivan band on the Ed Sullivan Show for years, playing trumpet. Mel had been doing all these recordings all around the world, or in New York, not all around the world, but maybe also all around the world. So um, they'd been saying, we got to have a band. So this was a dream for them.
0: For you, was it a, a launching pad to uh, to other things as well? All the exposure from the fat and Mel. Well,
1: absolutely. Yeah. It's funny. I'm still talking and I'm thinking about the drummer. Yeah, but no, I'm that's, not fine. Surprised. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. It's live. It's real. <laughs> uh, you know, um, and he's going to call him. So that's um, it. Was a launching pad because uh, being a soloist on all those records. I mean, uh, my first solo on a tune called "Mean What You Say" on the on, on the 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 presentation album of the first. Bad Jones and the Lewis Band, I played on this tune, Mean What You Say. And then we're playing at the Vanguard a couple of months later, and Michael Brecker walks in, handing me my solo that he took off the record. And he was like 16 or 17. I mean, so there you go. You know, it's like, that that to me, I didn't know who he was then, but he was a talented young kid. I had no idea. He was very sweet. And he grew into being like one of the most amazing saxophone players of our time. You know, very special, very individual. It's a bit we lost him this year. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so it was that kind of thing, I had one solo on a record, on our opening record, and the young tenor players are listening to it, and they're writing it out, and figuring it out, you know, and then there was the Live at the Village Vanguard album, in which uh, there was a tune called Little Pixie, and I was supposed to play the solo on tenor, because it was live, I picked up the clarinet, played the solo on the clarinet, it was only 32 bars, and then I won the downbeat, for the 32 (laughs) bars of best new clarinet player, you know, or uh, deserving of wider recognition, you know, something like that. Wow. So how did you establish yourself as a a solo artist, a band leader in your own right? Well, that just kind of developed, you know, kind of you go in and out of it, you know. uh, Having gotten that uh, recording contract from GRP, I was able to record several albums as a leader, and, um, and and it's taken time, you know, to kind of build that. And I'd only say, like, even now, it's just about, I can say, I'm a leader. I have a band. Well, You have yeah, three quarters day. of a band, yeah. Still, <laughs> yeah, yeah, What am I going to do?
2: <laughs> huh?
1: Lewis couldn't do this game.
0: See, that's another one. I I had
1: asked Lewis Nash if he could be on this gig and he couldn't do it. So they can't have Lewis <laughs> Nash. Ne- no, but I think... Uh, be well, luckily, after
0: all these years, you must have a pretty impressive Rolodex, right? So uh, it shouldn't be hard to... Uh... Yeah, but it's two days away. <laughs> that's a very good point, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Labor Day Life. weekend, yeah, that's a that's a good point. Mm-hmm. So the one thing that's so striking about the, the Live at the Iridium record is just how happy it sounds. Yes. And yes. Uh, it sounds like you're really still in love with the music and with Absolutely. playing.
1: Absolutely. You know, I, I fall in love with it over and over and over. In fact, it's funny. Like, last week, I'm thinking, before I'm coming here, Oh, I'm not that, I don't feel like practicing. I'm kind of, uh, I don't know, I kind of had a case of the black, you know. But then I picked up the tenor and started playing, and then I just like rocketed to the moon in my room all by myself with just excitement about the instrument. I started swinging as I started practicing a few things. I started feeling the voice coming back and the fluidity, and uh, before you knew it, I was saying, yeah, it just got me back.
0: Oh, that's great. So what else is coming up for you? I gotta
1: find a drummer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the now right now. <laughs> Be back at the Iridium October 16th to 19th. Fantastic. Uh, the same Steve Shaper, oh, no, oh, not okay. Steve Shaper, actually Victor Lewis. Oh, great. He's gonna play drums. Uh, Dave Fink and Joel and, uh, Tom Renier. Same band, just with Victor Lewis. Joe Barber couldn't do it. And now Robert, he can't, he can't do, do, do it. There's a lot of right, gigs yeah. he can't do now when he injured his left hand. It's only his left hand. I would think he could still play with his right hand, you know. They do, they do use two hands. Well, I, I might go out as a left-handed clarinetist. Anyway. Yeah, so we do that, and then we're going to play at, at Sedona uh, the week later. And A couple of things coming in, you know. That's so, great.
0: Yeah. Well, it's been such a pleasure uh, talking with you, and I wish you the best of luck well, in thank finding you, a drummer that's in the great. next 48 hours. You know, if you
1: can take up the drums real quick. This yeah, is great. It's right. a live thing that people could... You could hear my voice. You could hear, uh, you know, how I responded. What really happened? And, you know, and, uh, I'm gonna go cry.
0: All right. <laughs> I'll get you a tissue and thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks. I appreciate it. Okay. Okay. That was Eddie Daniels from his new album, Live at the Iridium. You've been listening to The Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available in iTunes. Just go to the iTunes store and type in Jazz Session, and you can subscribe for free. You can also always listen to the show right at thejazzsession.com, where you'll find every show, plus written interviews, live jazz news, coverage of jazz events and artists that I've done for other outlets, And lots of jazz links. You'll also find a link to the Jazz Session Cause of the Month. This month, it is Musicians Village, a partnership of Brantford Marsalis, Harry Connick Jr., Habitat for Humanity in New Orleans. And uh, their mission is amazing, and I hope you'll click on the link and give them some money, uh, now more than ever, in many ways. Also, listen on the show coming up, I'm uh, beginning to put together now a series on the musical recovery, particularly the jazz recovery of New Orleans... And I'll be interviewing folks who live at Musician's Village, as well as some other musicians from the New Orleans area. And I hope you listen for that in the months ahead. For more interviews and reviews, you can visit allaboutjazz.com, the world's largest jazz website. You'll find my writing there, and there are a lot of other great people who write for allaboutjazz.com, and they're all worth checking out. You can always contact the show very simply. Just send an email to jason at thejazzsession.com. There's also a mailing list at the website. You'll see it right on the left-hand side if you go to thejazzsession.com. You type in your name and email address, it's that simple, and you'll get a a weekly update from the show about the guests who are coming up and also about some other things uh, from My Little World. Don't forget, if you want to win a copy of Eddie Daniels' double live album, Homecoming, Live at the Iridium, send an email to contest at thejazzsession.com. That's contest at thejazzsession.com, and just put Eddie in the subject line, as in Eddie Daniels. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We've passed 100,000 downloads several weeks ago and uh, just continuing to go up. I couldn't be more grateful for uh, your support for this show. Please remember to also support live jazz performance whenever and wherever you can. And then make a date and come back here next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session.